Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. For a startup company, especially one in the life sciences space, has become very good at budgeting and understanding where your cash will come from in the next six months, in the next year, and so on. Okay. Uh, that is the number one thing at the top of my list of concerns and opportunities that I focus on is how to manage cash flow, understanding where we're spending our money, not being afraid to apply money where we need it, but also knowing how to replenish the coffers, um, be it through equity funding, through grant funding, and hopefully um, by growing revenues from selling your product. But most companies in our space, we won't see revenue for the first three to five, sometimes eight years or longer, uh, just because of the timeline that it takes to validate and get a technology to advice. If you feel, I want to talk to a lawyer about my options, I realize something's wrong with, with my spouse or, or the relationship, it's not right. Have a consultation with a lawyer, find out your options. If you're not, you should never go for a divorce until you're sure, just like you should never get married until you're sure. Right. And one thing you can do, you can have a consultation, you can have one of our COVID room consultations where you have the privacy you need, you know, for an hour just to talk it through and figure out your options. But if you're certain that this is what you want to do, file for divorce now. Okay. The unbelievable delay that is going to happen with the court system after all the backlog of cases oh, gets back on the docket. So now there's delay in getting divorces. You know, for example, in Virginia, it's a one year waiting period if you have children to get a divorce, right? There's going to be delay. You're not going to get a trial date for a year anyway. Well, imagine now when all these cases from March and April and May and maybe even June are put back on the docket, the backlog is going to be insane. So file cast is focused on corporate counsel and entrepreneurs and businesses. And so now you're setting aside what your business does. You've been a successful business for 11 years and just the numbers you've rattled off are massively impressive. What is it that you could say to other entrepreneurs or other startups that's made you so successful? What are the two or three things that you're like, you know what, if I wasn't this way or didn't do this, it wouldn't have worked out. These are the most important traits so Tom, uh, yeah, that's that's a really good, really good question. A good observation, I suppose, is that um, a successful entrepreneur pretty much has three things, and they would be number one, an innate sense of curiosity, a real desire that says there must be a better way, there must be a solution to a problem, even though nobody else has found it. Continuous curiosity, I think, is uh, is something you find in all uh, successful entrepreneurs. Secondly, an equal measure of uh, confidence and self-doubt. I think if you're overconfident, you, you, you're gonna make some mistakes. And if you've got no confidence, if you've got too much self-doubt, then you run the risk of never really taking the plunge. So probably equal measure self-doubt and, uh, and confidence. And the third thing I'd say is persistence. 
because it's not easy. Most people who started a business will tell you that if they knew what was involved when they started, they probably never would have started. The biggest thing that I've that I've heard is in feedback that I'm hearing from you know, the on the small business committees and in Congress is really look for the, the change. And if we think back, you know, way back to six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, when when all of this was first starting, when the first payroll protection, when the CARES Act was passed, as things started to come out and evolve, they kept changing. And so the one thing I would say about this form, biggest message that I have for every business owner listening is don't take this sitting down. This form is, it is complicated. There are a lot of calculations. Some of it I think strays too far away from the CARES Act, from the original intent. And I think the only way for Congress to know that and to affect change is for us as business owners to contact our senators and in particular our senators and let them know how this affects your business. That's that's the only way that we're going to be able to affect change with this. Talk about pending legislation to shield employers from liability for COVID-related illness. And it hasn't happened, but there is talk about that in Congress right now, so. Yeah, I mean, there's talk about it. There's also some talk at the state level of making it a workers' compensation issue. Okay. Um, Illinois and California have both modified their workers' comp laws right now to make COVID covered by workers' comp, which is the only um, avenue of recourse an employee would have is to file the workers' comp claim. Yeah. Uh, California, if I'm not mistaken, went as far to say that if you get COVID within 14 days of returning to work, there's a presumption that you got it at work. Wow. Um, which makes it covered. Now, of course, you know, it limits the amount of benefits that are available to paying your medical costs. We're all going to see this, you know, next year in our in our workers' comp premiums and when we have our audits done, you know, after the end of this year. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some, some of the smaller insurance carriers suffering and struggling and maybe even some bankruptcies over this. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You pick between chancery and law if you have a Delaware case. You're a corporation, you need to sue someone, and you've the got The judge's expertise, yes, not to say that- the judicial oh, expertise in the court of chancery. So that is a huge incentive um, for companies. And they also have- So you're not saying they're better Arbitration judges. procedures. They have Experienced a, in corporate law. Yes. Okay. So uh, the chancellors, I mean, they hear hundreds and thousands of, of corporate cases. Of corporate cases. So they have this unique judicial expertise. So that's another reason a company might want to be here because they know that this judicial expertise exists in addition to the body of law. It's just a, right. it's a system. And each court has different procedures for arbitration. Okay. So um, in Delaware... We have our superior court is the court of general jurisdiction here. Okay. And since we're a smaller state, we don't have an intermediary appellate court. So it's um, straight to our state Supreme Court, Supreme court for okay. an appeal. But I know superior court also has its own arbitration as well. And then chancery, they have their own rules and gotcha. arbitration. Practical matter, what are companies doing to kind of deal with this? Well, it's a very frustrating issue for many of them simply because as a country and as an economy, we're dependent on a lot of talent from uh, overseas because we have not invested enough into our own tech programs and getting the U.S. citizens up to speed on the new and novel technology and uses of technology. Many of our major corporations, IBM, Oracle, of the world are dependent on uh, H-1B uh, students, uh, former students coming here and handling our, our, our tech needs. 
they now are prevented from coming. And this is very frustrating. And perhaps most frustrating is the L1B visa. L1Bs are an intercompany transfer. So if I have a company overseas and we have a branch office or a subsidiary or parent in the United States, it's generally a corporate decision to transfer a talent from overseas to the United States for a temporary period of time because it's a strategic move by the company that, you know, enhances the product. The ban, which not only is to help uh, protect the U.S. worker, prevents L1s from transferring. So companies can't make the decision. The controversial part about that is that they are not taking jobs for U.S. citizens because they already have a job. They already work for the company. They're just simply moving location for strategic reasons to the United States. And again, I'll just reiterate, kind of nationally, every state, all the circuits, it's got to be legitimate protection of the employer. That's the top thing. Every state, there has to be reasonable time restriction, reasonable territorial limit. It can't be too harsh or oppressive to the employee. And I know there's this kind of, sometimes we say it's a throwaway one, but it can't be contrary to public policy. And I think uniquely, maybe in non-competes, that's one of the things that is more important in this context than the public policy argument might be in others because you need this other perspective. Like from a public policy perspective, stopping a janitor from working, there's no good public policy reason to do that. And there probably isn't a legitimate business interest to stop somebody from doing that. But if somebody is one of three people, a subject matter expert, and they're within a five mile radius where an industry is located, that's gonna be a different different calculus. David, what, what are your kind of thoughts on, on this subject here? I think what all of these categories tell us and what the case law reflects, you know, things like reasonableness, public policy, undue burden, these are all very subjective and fact-specific inquiries. And it really comes down to the specific situation that you're dealing with in any given case. And that's where the COVID crisis might tweak some of the case law at the margins. When we talk about public policy and enforceability of a, of a non-compete, generally the case law was sort of settled but now what happens if the person subject to the non-compete is working on an important uh, vaccine or happens to be an essential worker that's in great need? Would that affect the enforceability under this particular time uh, or undue burden on the employee? What if there happens to be a 30% decrease in a certain market sector of available jobs? Is it now more unduly burdensome to that employee to be subject to this non-compete? And would the courts be a little more lenient if jobs are just less plentiful to begin with in that geographic area? So the facts of what's going on in the world can have a bearing on these. Oh, that's it. But understanding that those licensing agreements can be kind of challenging for me as a content creator. And I think that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you on your podcast, because I'd like to understand those a little bit more. And it seems like they're changing and it seems like the web is still a bit of the wild west in terms of image usage. You know, you see people using things inappropriately all the time or using, you know, music that they're not supposed to use in a place and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think we need to be more aware or reminded of what the rules are with respect. The easiest thing to remember for everybody is that in the U.S., as soon as you create anything, you take a picture, you write something down, you, Lisa, post something on the web or Rob writes an article, you have copyright rights on creation. So copyright is automatically 
created, it's you get a copyright as soon as you create it. It's not perfected and you can't sue anyone yet. But what happens on your receiving end is you see those photos and those photos, 100% of them are owned by whoever took those photos and created those photos, unless they conveyed them to someone else. No photo anywhere are you allowed to use on the internet unless you specifically have a license to do so. That's kind of like ground zero. And that's where people get tripped up and we see those I don't know if you've seen these, the Getty Images letter, pay us $1,500 or $3,000 because uh, you've taken their image and they're they're well within their rights. And so that's the other challenge. It seems like, oh, these are photo trolls. And I get that feeling from businesses when they tell us, hey, we just got a letter from Getty Images. But you have to remember, you're a content creator. You wouldn't want someone swiping a, a segment of your video. So it's kind of playing, if you want to all play in the same sandbox, you've got to follow, look at 17 USC 101 the copyright statute and think about, okay, well, I wouldn't want someone taking my content. So I understand that. And Lisa, I have to say you're doing it the right way by making sure that anything you use is licensed. And that's why you haven't gotten that letter yet. But I will tell you that thousands of those letters go out every month, maybe even every day from various image owners. And it's, it's, it's big business. And at the same time, part of the wild west feeling you're getting, I think, and I'll you know talk to you guys if you've run into this, is that some of these image owners are making so much money off this that clearly you don't have a license to use the image, but they're not making it easier for you to understand you don't have a license. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com. 